0: Section 22 of Old Rail Fence Corners. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. Old Rail Fence Corners. Edited by Lucy leavenworth wilder morris mr stephen rochette eighteen fifty five saint paul indians used often to stop to get something to eat they never stole anything and seemed satisfied with what we gave them we were on the direct road from fort snelling to saint paul it was made on the old trail between those two places this went right up seventh street the Indians often brought ducks and game to sell. I used to shoot pigeons and prairie chickens on what is now Summit Avenue. I used to make cushions for Father Riveau's back. He had rheumatism very badly. He used to go by our house horseback. I wanted to give him the cushions, but he would never take anything he did not pay for. I bought a number of knockdown chairs in Chicago, all made by hand for $125 and sold them for much more those chairs would last a lifetime the parts were separate and packed well they could be put together easily mrs stephen rochette 1855 when we first came into st paul in 1855 we landed on the upper levee it was used then more than the lower one we thought we could never get used to the narrow crooked streets we lived with my father jacob donnie where the milwaukee tracks now cross seventh street we soon had three cows we never had any fence for them just turned them out and let them run in the streets with the other cows and pigs sometimes we could find them easily again we would have a long hunt mrs james a winter eighteen fifty five we came to Faribault in eighteen fifty five My father had the first frame hotel there. The Indians had a permanent camp on the outskirts of the village. I was a small girl of sixteen, with very fair skin, blue eyes, and red cheeks. The squaws used to come to the house asking for food, which mother always gave them. Old Betts was often there. A young Indian, tall and fine-looking, used to come and sit watching me intently while I worked about the house much to my discomfort. Finally one day he came close to me and motioned to me to fly with him. I showed no fear, but led the way to the kitchen where there were others working and fed him, shaking my head violently all the time. He was the son of a chief and was hung at Mankato. Mrs. George E. Fisher, 1855 Mother's name was Jane Debeau. Her father and mother were French she came to minnesota with the stevens in eighteen thirty four when she was seven years old they were missionaries and when their own daughter died induced jane's family to let them have her the indians were always sorry for her because her mother was away they called her small crow that was caught mrs stevens never could punish her for it made the squaws so angry the first indian child my mother ever saw was a small boy who stood on the edge of Lake Harriet, beckoning to her. She was afraid at first, but finally joined him, and always played with the Indian children from that time. The Stevens the next year had a little school near their cabin, not far from where the pavilion is now. The Indian children always had to have prizes for coming. These prizes were generally turnips. Often they give a bushel in one day. In 1839, some Chippewa Indians ambushed a Sioux father who was hunting with his little son. The child escaped and told the story. The Sioux went on the warpath immediately and brought home forty or fifty Chippewa scalps. They had been lucky as they found a camp where the warriors were all away. They massacred the old men, women, and children and came home to a big scalp dance. My mother had played with the Indian children so much that she was as jubilant As they, when she saw those gory trophies, she learned and enjoyed the dance. She taught me the Sioux words through the scalp dance and often sang them to us. Translated they are, You Ojibwa, you are mean. We will use you like a mouse. We have got you and we will strike you down. My dog is very hungry. I will give him the Ojibwa scalps. The Indian children would take a kettle full of water make a fire under it, and throw fish or turtles from their bone-hooks directly into this. When they were cooked slightly, they would take them out and eat them without salt, cracking the turtle-shells on the rocks. The boys used to hunt with their bows and arrows, just as they did in later years. They were always fair in their games. My mother married Mr. Gibbs and moved to this farm on what was the territorial road near the present Agricultural College it was on the direct Indian trail to the hunting grounds around Rice Lake. The Indian warriors were always passing on it and always stopped to see their old playmate. By this time they had guns and they would always give them to mother to keep while they were in the house. The kitchen floor would be covered with sleeping warriors. Mother knew all their superstitions. One was that if a woman jumped over their feet, they could never run again. I can well remember my gay, light-hearted mother running and jumping over all their feet in succession as they lay asleep in her kitchen and the way her eyes danced with mischief as she stood jollying them in Sioux. We noticed that not one of them lost any time in finding out if they were bewitched. Our Indians, when they came to see Mother, wanted to do as she did. They would sit up to the table and she would give them a plate and knife and fork. This pleased them much. They would start with the food on their plates but soon would have it all in their laps. They were very dissatisfied with the way the whites were taking their lands. The big treaty at Traverse des Sioux was especially distasteful for them. They said their lands had been stolen from them. They were very angry at my father, because he put a rail fence across their trail, and would have killed him if it had not been for mother. The last time these good friends came was in May 1862. A large body of them on horseback, camped on the little knoll across from our house, where the dead tree now is. They were sullen and despondent. Well do I remember the dramatic gestures of their chief, as he eloquently related their grievances. My mother followed every word he said, for she knew how differently they were situated from their former condition. When she first knew them they owned all the country, the whites nothing. In these few years the tables had been turned. Her heart bled for them, her childhood's companions. HE SAID HIS WARRIORS COULD HARDLY BE KEPT FROM THE WARPATH AGAINST THE WHITES, THAT, SO FAR, HIS counsel HAD PREVAILED, BUT EVERY TIME THEY HAD A COUNCIL, IT WAS HARDER TO CONTROL THEM, THAT THEIR HUNTING AND FISHING-GROUNDS WERE GONE, THE BUFFALO DISAPPEARING, AND THERE WAS NO FOOD FOR THE SQUAWS AND PAPOOSES. THE GREAT WHITE FATHER HAD FORGOTTEN THEM, HE KNEW, FOR THEIR RATIONS WERE LONG OVERDUE, AND THERE WAS HUNGER IN THE CAMP. THEY SLEPT THAT NIGHT IN OUR KITCHEN little beckoning boy and the other playmates i can still see the sad look on my mother's face as she went from one to the other giving each a big hot breakfast and trying to cheer them she could see how they had been wronged she stood and watched them sadly as they mounted their ponies and vanished down the old trail lieutenant governor gilman eighteen fifty five the winter of fifty five and fifty six was thirty five degrees below zero Two weeks at a time, and forty degrees below was usual. I have often seen the Red River carts ford the river here. They crossed at the foot of Sixth Street between where the two warehouses are now. Mrs. Austin W. Farnsworth, eighteen fifty-five. We came to Dodge County in eighteen fifty-five. The first year we were hailed out, and we had to live on Rutabegas and wild tea. We got some game too but we were some tired of our diet before things began to grow again. When that hailstorm came, we were all at a quilting bee. There was an old lady, Mrs. Maxfield, there, rubbing her hundred mark pretty close. She sat in a corner, and was not scared though the oxen broke away, and run home, and we had to hold the door to keep it from blowing in. We said, "'Ain't you afraid?' She answered, "'No, I'm not. If I do go out,' I don't want to die howling. The first time I worked out, when I was fourteen years old, I got fifty cents a week. There was lots to do, for there were twin babies. I used to get awful homesick. I went home Saturdays, and when I came over the hill where I could see our cabin, I could have put my arms around it and kissed it. I was that glad to see home. End of section twenty two. Recording by Greg Giordano.